Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Hi everybody, welcome to Spirit Sisters the Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Machado, coming to you from my home in Sydney, Australia. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to note that it's been a year since I launched the podcast and what a great year it's been. Your feedback and reviews tell me that the show has really found a place in your hearts and I couldn't be more grateful. A big thank you as well to those who've bought the 10th anniversary edition of my first book, Spirit Sisters which is widely available now in Australia, in bookshops and online. If you haven't ordered it yet, it might be a nice idea to order it through your local independent bookstore and support them. If you're international, you can buy the e-book, but please do let me know if you have any trouble sourcing it. Now to today's show. My guest is Teresa Byrne, a martial arts and self-defence expert living in Colorado whose near-death experience in 2014 impacted every facet of her life, from the physical after-effects of a traumatic brain injury to the spiritual inquiry sparked by the NDE and being diagnosed with PTSD, depression and anxiety. Teresa had a lot to cope with during a very challenging two-year recovery. Her experiences led eventually to her acclaimed TEDx talk, The Danger of Your Inner Bully. I so enjoyed my conversation with Teresa. As her story unfolded, I found a lot that I could relate to and learn from, and I think you will too. Stick around to the end when she shares three of the most powerful takeaways from her life-changing near-death experience. Here's Teresa with her remarkable story. Welcome to Spirit Sisters, Teresa. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I'm excited too. And just before I press record, we were talking about how long this has been in the works, how long we've been aiming to get together to have this conversation. So it's a very happy day for both of us. Indeed, indeed. And we decided it was a few months. We have been conversing and back and forth. You're in Australia and I'm in the US. So we had to figure out time differences and season differences. (laughs) It did indeed. And I think you said it was cold when we first started talking and now it's cold for me here in Sydney. So we're going, you know, full circles and here we are, which I'm so thrilled about. Thank you. I'm honoured to be here. I really, really am honoured to be here. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Teresa. Now, before we get into your, your astonishing story, could you please just give us some background, introduce yourself, tell the listeners a little about who you are. I would be honored. Thank you. Uh, my name is Teresa Byrne. I've been a martial artist and I owned a martial arts and fitness studio since the late 90s. I've been an entrepreneur and I took over this little studio as a female solopreneur 
and was kind of surprised at uh, how I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I saw all my friends that owned their own businesses and I thought, oh, that looks very hard. It looks so difficult. I don't ever want to do that. But when you decide that you want to capitalize on your soul's mission, and my soul's mission was really to make the world a better place. And I didn't feel like I was doing that in um, corporations and in small businesses and as a director of marketing. So when I came into the martial arts world, it, it was a it was a rude awakening. Just um, just all of it, learning how to or not not so well accounting and marketing and all of the pieces of it. But truly, what what my heart and soul mission was was to help find that light in each of the students and help bring that forth. And so instead of creating a system where all of the students were these, um, like a military, if you think about, like a martial arts is kind of a military, mm. I actually wanted to do the opposite. I wanted them to be their own people. I wanted to raise the light in each of them. So I created a system um, called Leading Through Love that was built on encouragement, not fear. It was building people up, not breaking them down. And that wasn't how martial arts was taught in the late 90s. It was, you will obey, you will follow the rules. And that's not what I felt was uh, was needed. So, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, sorry, Therese, I was just going to say, and why did you choose martial arts as the lens through which you would enable your soul's mission? Ha, huh, I would love to tell you that. I think martial arts chose me. <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest, I always thought of martial arts as something very rigid and disciplined. And it's not that it isn't those things. But when I was a kid, I saw the karate kid or I guess maybe I was a teen. I, I can't remember uh, younger when the karate kid came out and I saw Mr. Miyagi, this character who was able to be strong and powerful and embody this gentle strength. But he never took it out on anyone. And he was funny and lighthearted. And that made me realize that that's what martial arts could look like. In that vein, I wanted to be more of that, offer that gentle strength, offer that nurturing strength, um, and not walk around with my black belt tied around going, yeah, I can kick your butt. I can kick your It's Why? Why? There's no reason for that. So I stumbled into martial arts. And I'd, I've never been someone who uh, was very athletic, which is funny now. And I felt the connection of my mind, my body, and my spirit in one day. I think I was probably a yellow belt or an orange belt, and we were doing these things called flying sidekicks. And you run up to the bag, and you jump up, and you throw your leg out, and you kick it. Well, my group of kids, my group of people were all kids. They were eight and 10 years old, and, and they were loving it. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break something. I'm gonna hurt myself. Every, every athletic endeavor I've ever tried. <laughs> So uncoordinated I was. And I decided I'm going to try this. The kids look excited. I'm going to try it. So I run up to the bag. I leap up and I swear I feel like I was 10 feet in the air and I extend my leg and this hanging bag flips all the way up to the ceiling from my kick. And I felt powerful for the first time in my life. I felt it. Oh, I was flying up with you as you were describing that because I am somebody who has always thought of myself as totally non-athletic and I guess that oh. is true, but I've never given myself the chance either. So I wish 
that I had perhaps attempted martial arts. My my son, who's 18, he does my Mai Tai, is that how you say it? Um, it's called Muay Thai, but yes. Muay Thai, that's it, yeah. And he loves it. And now, you know, he's missing that because obviously the studio is closed for the moment, but he's drawing so much out of it. And I feel like as I was hearing you describe that, that that's such a beautiful moment just and how it, it feels like it was more than a sense of the physical that you were experiencing too. As you said, there was the, the meeting of the spirit, the heart and the, and the physical strength. Yeah, it was like mind, body, and spirit all mm. in one one moment, and and they all came together. And I've never felt that before. I've never, I'd never in my life felt that way. And I was in my early twenties, so it was not the first time. However, you did say that you you had this deep sense of your soul's mission, and I think Teresa, if I'm not mistaken, you had that feeling from childhood. Is that right? That you wanted to help others reach their highest potential. Oh, I, I did. I do. I have. It's all true. Um, <laughs> when I was younger, I, I found myself being very protective for others. And I couldn't understand why they wouldn't stand up for themselves. Um, I grew up in Germany. where I was a military family. I'm a military family. I grew up in Germany. And in Germany, kids were all treated. We were all treated about the same. I don't remember anything um, untoward. I don't remember feeling different um, or feeling unusual. And we moved uh, to a, a place and I was in fourth grade and I remember watching a bigger kid pick on it, a, a slower, smaller kid. And something inside me just, I, I put myself in the way of that bully. The bully was going to hit this younger kid and me without any physical training, without any knowledge, I've never hurt anyone in my life. Um, I stand in front of this smaller kid and I say, leave him alone. You want to hit somebody, hit me and I'll hit back. And I think at that point, the bully did back down, but it wasn't even thinking about it. It was this place in me where I felt protective um, of someone who was smaller or less able to stand up for themselves. And I guess that does tie into my soul's mission. I do want to teach people how to stand up for themselves, how to be in their power, how to be strong for themselves and how the best of them can come out, how they can be their higher, highest self, higher self. It's an extraordinary mission and certainly it's it's one that's definitely required. Just uh, speaking for myself, I know that that's something, self-esteem is something that is a work in progress for me. I'm continually learning and I think mm-hmm. um, it's, it's wonderful the work that you're doing here, Teresa. With your martial arts studio, you you established it, you learned about all those things that you were mentioning earlier that, that would mind boggle me as well, accounts and, you know, all the administrative <laughs> aspects. And you were helping so many people. Tell us a little bit about the work that you were doing. I think I've heard you share on another show that you you were helping some some physically challenged uh, and emotionally mm-hmm. challenged children. Tell us about this work and set the scene for what life was like for you in the lead up to your near-death experience. I will. I guess the easiest way to think of it is differently abled. Diff- um, able, okay. Differently abled. Yeah, for some reason, uh, early in my early in my studio, early when I was teaching, I attracted in uh, children and adults that were just they weren't. Some of them were uh, on the autistic spectrum. I had kids with Down syndrome, um, many different capabilities, and I also worked with kids who were gifted intellectually but really uncoordinated, which I could understand. I was I was a very smart child, very very 
off the chart smart, but I was so out of my body. And so I had these groups of, of children for the most part, and they, they needed a place where they could become the best of themselves. So, and I remember one story, a, a woman uh, had called and she said, I need you to fix my kid. And I said, wait, you want me to fix your, is he broken? And she said, yes, he's broken. He doesn't listen. He's got ADHD. Um, he's got, str- he's struggling in school. And I said, let's just stop right there. He's not broken. He's different. And my job is to help you figure out how he works best so you guys can work together. And she was, she was like thinking, wow, okay, I can do this. I had another little boy who was dyslexic and I asked him to read something and he looked down and he was all ashamed and he said, I, I can't, I'm, I'm dyslexic. And I, first thing out of my mouth was, wow, did you know that both halves of your brain work when you're dyslexic and you're probably smarter than all of us put together and so many geniuses are dyslexic and he just looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said yeah and later his mom told me that no one in authority had ever told him the benefits of dyslexia of how dyslexics are actually quite gifted and I guess that's kind of how I ended up studying neuroscience and the way that the brain works how we function how we don't function Um, instead of looking at it as good and bad, which the rest of the world decides for us, it's like what works and what doesn't work, what's effective, what isn't effective. And I did a great deal of training to help work with these differently abled populations. And oddly enough, um, those with different brains, which would help me much later as well. It sounds like, you know, a case of synchronicity, events (laughs) tying in together this this tapestry is being woven and it you're going to step back soon and see the full picture it's funny that you say that there have been times where I see these golden threads Mm. and I I won't see the whole picture of the tapestry but I will just I will see the threads start to connect and I'll have this feeling of synchronicity or synergy but this is beautiful wow things are being Mm. created for us with us I love that idea of seeing the golden threads because you're right, we probably don't ever get to see on this side of the veil the full tapestry, but we, we get glimpses of the golden threads, as you say. You So it sounds like you had a real sense at that point in your life, just in the lead up to the NDE, that you were in the right place. You were doing what you needed to do. You were enacting your soul's mission. Would that be correct to say, Teresa? I I, I, thank you for asking a, a, such a good question. Absolutely, I was. But, and I'll explain it after we just talk a little bit of near death. I, I think I was doing it. I'll just be blunt. I was doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was living my soul's mission to help to make a difference every single day to the point of exhaustion. I was at one point I counted, calculated how many hours I was working and teaching. And mind you, teaching is a very energetic um, endeavor. You hold the energy for the space and you hold the energy for each student and you help them grow and you help them get better. And you look at the technical aspects and you help them get a good workout in and you help them connect to the light. So for, oh, I think every evening I'd get back home at 8.30 at night. I'd teach till about 8.30 at night. And I was exhausted. I really was exhausted. 
That's, I think so many people who are listening will relate to what you've just said about doing it wrong in that, <laughs> not, I know I do, in that you, you weren't honouring yourself within this mission of helping others. And I think for people who relate to the idea of being an empath or, you know, anybody who, who feels a deep sense of compassion and wanting to assist others, it's such a common problem that we forget mm. ourselves in the equation. And that is to our own detriment and can lead to a lot of, of suffering. Yeah, over, uh, overburdening. And, and, yeah. and we, we talk so much about finding our purpose, right? We, when you find that purpose, it's easy to want to do it, but no one gives you directions on... <laughs> you maybe lighten up on the purpose and have some balance. Balance, you know what I mean? it's such an important <laughs> word. Yes. <laughs> I didn't have any. I was uh, I, definitely a workaholic. I remember several vacations. One thing I will never forget, one of my best friends got married in Spain and all my girlfriends took off for a week. And I know I had to work. I, I couldn't go. I had to work. And I'm still kicking myself. So Leanne, if you ever listen to this, I'm still regretting missing your wedding, but um, I work at all costs. I was very much a hyper achiever and there were always people to help. There were always people that needed that support, that care. You know what I'm saying? You get it. I do. I absolutely get it. I absolutely get it. And I think there's a deep lesson in what you've just said about not forgetting the precious people. As much as we want to help as many people as we can and and do what we feel we're here to do on the planet, there are precious people around us that it's mm. easy to overlook. God, mm. I've done it a million times with my own loved ones as well, and I think a lot of people will relate to that. I think you're right, and I, I love the way you say my name, by the way, Teresa. <laughs> I think that there, it's it's a we have so much of a heart. If you're an empath or a giver, you want to help, but. And it's, is it funny that I teach boundaries for a living? I teach self-defense and boundaries. And yet I, I could have probably worked on boundaries, but that's really what my accident helped me find. Okay. So you've mentioned the accident. Let's get into that. Uh, so we we've got you at the, at the studio working so hard, working too many hours, <laughs> exhausted. Then what happened? I was out running errands one day. And out of nowhere and out of know how, something ran into me. And whatever happened, uh, all I knew was that I, I bonked my head on the side of my car. My car started going in the other lane of traffic, the wrong lane of traffic. And I um, sent out a prayer and I said, please, God, don't let me hurt anyone else. And I, I had no control of the vehicle and I had a big SUV. And I ran into a before in in a in the U.S. There are these they're they're like curbs, but they're larger than curbs. And then I and my car ended up into a brick wall and it happened in a split second. Uh, I tried to control the vehicle. I I asked not to hurt anyone. And then my second prayer as I'm heading toward this brick wall, which honestly, I don't remember hitting because I got pulled out of my body. But my second prayer was, is this it? Am I done? And in that moment, I realized uh, I just had the most overwhelming sense of surrender, first of all, because there was nothing I could do to stop. So here I am, a fourth degree black belt, the first woman in my system, 
um, teaching people how to own their power, uh, owning uh, all these things that you would think, and none of them mattered in that moment. I, I had nothing that was stopping me. And I realized that if the answer that I was given was, yes, you are done, I was okay. And if the answer was, no, you're not done, I was also okay. So with this, this moment of surrender, I don't even know how to say it. It's just a, okay. It's just this clear path to being open to whatever is. So you've mentioned that you, in that moment, you spontaneously released two prayers. I wonder, mm-hmm. what was your sort of spiritual belief system prior to this and, um, or, or lack thereof before this happened? What did you believe? I have always believed in God. Um, I don't have a, a belief in uh, a particular kind of God. <laughs> I study, I've studied uh, Buddhism. I've studied Hinduism. I've studied Catholicism. I've studied many different religions. Uni- Unitarianism, I think is what it's called, Unity, Church of Religious Science. I have studied a lot about God, and I've always had a belief of God. And I, one of the biggest gifts, my mother is an amazing human being. She's very, very kind and loving. And one of the biggest gifts she ever gave me when I was a child, she said, you need to figure out who God is for you. She was a Jehovah's Witness. My father was Catholic. And she gave me the strength to go try out these different churches and look at different places of what God was. And my version of God may not fit into anyone else's um, version, but my version of God is um, all, all-knowing, comforting, loving presence, male, female, whatever. I mean, I mostly think of it as male, but it, it could be either one. But I've always felt the hand of God in my life and guiding me and just had a faith, a faith beyond measure. Mm, a faith beyond measure. Did you pray regularly prior to this or were these prayers something new? Uh, no, I prayed. I, I talked to God a lot. I talked to God a lot. Um, I, and, and to be honest, I will be uh, honest and, uh, in our conversation. When I was a child, I talked to God and I told my mother I talked to God. And my mother said, that's not God. God doesn't talk to people. And I'm thinking, why not? Sure he does. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. Um, but my mother's belief was that, um, that God is not something that we can relate to. And I always felt it was. Now, to be fair, I have always seen energy. I have seen um, spirits. I've talked to spirits. My mom also thought that was nutty. And I had a lot of dreams that came true when I was younger. So I was definitely tapped into the intuitive side. Once we talk yeah. more about your ND, I'd love to come back maybe if we have time and talk more about the energies and the spirits that you saw as a child and whether as an adult that continued. I would love to. And a funny part of that. So when I had, when I was hit in my vehicle, so I'm driving in my vehicle. When I think back to being hit, I don't picture it from inside my vehicle anymore. I picture it from outside. I don't see myself through my own eyes when I think of the accident. And here's the part that gets a little, a little weird, even for me in my head, I hear this. It's just like when you were a baby and you got German measles, I was, I, I was up above my body watching them try to cool my body down in a little tub in Germany. 
So I must have had another near-death experience and not realized it until I had a second one because they were this, they felt very similar floating above your body, watching things happen. Wow. So you didn't remember that initial NDE until, until the big one. Yes. And it it was when I was maybe two or three years old. So how would I, I didn't have anything to compare it to. Of course. Yeah. So please tell us more about what happened after, you know, take us into your NDE. I know you had some powerful realizations in that moment. Please share more about that. Oh, my gosh, I love this story. So if I talk too fast or you have questions, just let me know. Okay. So <clears throat> my first prayer was not to hurt anyone. And, and, and I did I did cry out to God, God, you know, please don't let me hurt anyone. And then I said, am I done? Is this it? And then I was given this feeling of, of surrender. Well, a lot of people will go through, I guess, what they call is a life review. We see it in the movies, like a montage. <laughs> right. Mm. Um, because that's all we have to experience near death experiences is the Hollywood versions, the montage. I mean, if you thought about near death and someone watching a life review, you would picture it from something you've seen in a movie. Maybe mine was slightly different. So <laughs> what I was shown, I love I love guides, spiritual beings, angels, whoever they are. They have a fabulous sense of humor in my world. So. I was shown a picture of me working my butt off, trying. It, it was almost like on a human hamster wheel, um, treadmill hamster. Like I had a human treadmill in a hamster wheel, and I was my mantra in this vision was gotta gotta make a difference, gotta help people, gotta gotta help people, gotta gotta make a positive impact, gotta gotta make things different, gotta support people, and I was doing all of this, you know, on the treadmill. And all around me, they showed me, they asked me to kind of look up and they showed me these beautiful thousands of people surrounding me and their hearts were glowing, this beautiful yellow light. And they had love on their faces for me. And I saw the faces of so many children, adults I've worked with, women I've taught self-defense to people I'd coached and all of these people were there and not once in my life prior to this accident had I ever known how to stop and look back and be able to appreciate what I'd been able to do to that point. I didn't know how to appreciate the difference that I had made. I wasn't wired that way. I wasn't shown. I grew up that you always just kept going and and more and more and keep doing it and keep doing it. I didn't know how to stop. And in that moment, I was gifted peace that I've never felt. I had never felt up until that moment. And it was a peace of knowing no matter what happened from this point forward, I made a difference. I helped. I changed my section of the world, the world that I lived in. And I, I just had this big exhalation and I felt those people fill me with love and gratitude. And I, I'd never been able to receive that before. That's so powerful. Well, think about it. Do you know how, if someone gives you a compliment, we say, yes, thank you. But do we ever stop and say, wow, thank you. I received that. And all my life, I just was, doing the next thing, 
working my butt off as hard as I could. And I was exhausted. They showed me on the treadmill. I was exhausted. And they're laughing. The guys are laughing at me going, look at how exhausted you are. And yet you're trying to make a difference. And yet if you just lifted up your head and learned how to appreciate it, there's all these people you've helped already. And it was never enough. I had a, a mission at that time. Every book that I published or um, talk that I gave, the books, uh, the, the talks, the, the workshops, all the impact, I had to motivate and inspire 1 million people. And I thought that was a good thing, right? That seems like a, a positive goal. I'll tell you what, coming back from my accident and, and just that first part, I mean, there's more to the near death, but just that first part, I want to make a positive impact with one person. I don't, I don't need millions anymore. So wow. are you ready for the next part? <laughs> oh, I am. And just before you go on to the next part, you just, um, just one question about they that you mentioned, they showed me and the spirit guides. What did these beings look like if indeed you could see them or how did you experience them? Uh, at this point, it was just me watching a movie screen and a feeling kind of words and a feeling uh, as I'm watching it, like a, a narration being shown something by something outside of myself. Cause I never would have seen this. Are you kidding me? I would have stayed in the hamster wheel, but taking a big step back and I'm with something or someone or they, and they have a, a liveliness and a humor to them and a goodness. So I was, I, I, that would, I, no one's ever asked me that question before, but that was the feeling of what I had. So that happened um, in an instant. And then sometime before I hit the brick wall, I was then moved out of my body. And in this interesting, so I've always thought of the, of a, of a travel. If you, if you have a near death experience, or if you go somewhere, you go from point A to point B, and maybe there's a choir of angels, a tunnel of light. I didn't have, there was none of that. It was like being in an instant transporter. If you've ever watched Star Trek or any um, sci-fi, uh, I was instantly transported from one place to the next. There was no travel. Okay. Yep. I've got a sense of that. And I've actually heard another NDE talk about that as well. Uh, the instant traveler. I think her name is Natalie uh, Sudman, S-U-D-M-A-N. She had an experience in Iraq, but yes. Okay. So you, you were instantly where? And so I was instantly in another place. And I, I have to admit, I was a little judgmental. I'm just going to say it. I don't like it about myself, but I was judgmental. There was this huge, vast space. And I was thinking, nothing here. This is a poor use of space. There's nothing. There's no one here. I, there was nothingness. And, uh, but I could see gray. And it wasn't, it was not a fun gray. It was not an exciting gray. I don't know that gray can ever be exciting. But um, so it, it was, it was a vast space, like a room, um, because I did see gray, which might have been walls, but I can't imagine where the walls would be. And there was a mist. And I remember thinking, wow, I, I kind of thought it would be like puffy clouds. But no, there was just this foggy mist, like a fog. And um I thought that was very interesting to be able to look at this space and there's no choir of angels and there's no, you know, stairway and there's no pearly gates. There's just this big gray room and it was kind of an industrial gray. It wasn't, 
gray that I would pick. And this voice comes to answer my last question. So my last question was, have I done everything I've, I, I've come here to do? And the voice, oh, this voice. So there was an essence in the room with me. And this essence had almost like the transference of feelings to it. So if you think about human beings and we have auras or when we're around someone positive, we feel good. When we're around someone negative, we might feel, uh, you know, um, kind of a negative energy. This essence was just this pure love was the closest word I have. And it, it gently laughed and said, no, you're not done. And one statement on top of another, the words were, there's more work to do and uh, and you've got more work to do and there's more work to be done was the statement. So I was given kind of my, my thing. And I, I looked around at myself and I, I was a floating essence, just like this other essence was. And instead of, I, I guess on this side, I've always, I'm a hyperachiever. I like to achieve things, accomplish things, get degrees, go to, college, take more courses, get accreditations. Um, and that's always something that I keep striving for. And on that side, I had no delineation. There were no labels. I wasn't male. I wasn't female. I wasn't tall. I wasn't short. I wasn't uh, college educated. I wasn't uh, not college. There was nothing. I was just this light, this golden essence, this feeling and what I felt from the other being in the room, the closest human word that I have is appreciation. This other being just coming off of them, instead of being, acceptance is, is a word that, that comes to mind, except acceptance to me sounds like there's something to accept. There's something to get over. There's something that you wish was different, but you accept it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And there was none of that. It was pure joy and appreciation and delight of all my humanness, of all my essence, of all my adventures. Just this this other essence. And 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 so in my head, I, I said, "Are you um, angels, guides, um, spiritual beings? What are you?" And and I got this feeling of sh a shrug of shoulders. As if, like, what do you want to call us? Whatever. And, and I thought, wow, okay. And then the next question, but what about the name of God? Is it God, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, divine source, one, uh, quantum field? What is it? And I got the same <laughs> reaction. Hands up going, oh, we don't really care. What do you want to call it? <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> and I'm thinking in my head, we, we could call God Bob no one cares. And, and I said, do you realize we're fighting wars down there over the name of this being? And they're like, yeah, aren't you guys cute? <laughs> aren't you humans fun? I, there was such a, just a delight of the humanity of each of us and the, the foibles. And I've never felt that way. I've never felt that before. I've always felt like I had to explain something about myself or give reasons for something and there was none of that how freeing. how freeing oh so freeing it was it was 
It was literally, and, and that feeling of appreciation, I have always felt like I had to keep doing something, whether it was proving myself, making a difference, whatever. Over there, you could just float around. And the other thing that was interesting is the way that thoughts were transferred. So you think of telepathy. We've heard of telepathy, right? Yeah. Where you give someone else a thought. But imagine giving someone else not just a thought, but an entire group of feelings and an experience and an experiential bubble. Understand where some other being is coming from. And they want to share. It's like this sharing and it's just a thought, but it's got all this beauty and feeling and, and the power to it. And I, I remember thinking, even before the accident, I believe in the power of words. But when I came back after that near-death excuse me, experience, I really, man, what we say to each other, so important. Because each of our words carries that same amount of thought form energy. That is so powerful, just that that idea itself, that our words are so crucial to whether another that we're communicating to either feels uplifted or flattened. And I've certainly had that experience, and I'm sure that anyone listening has had that experience of being in the presence of somebody who either lifts you or flattens you. <laughs> and it comes yeah. to it comes to what you're saying. And if only we had this understanding of our own power. Mm. And the power in what we say to each yes, other. Yes. And that, that words aren't just words, they're energy. They have their own uh, vibration, if you will. Um, they have their own essence. I mean, what if words had an essence? And we could feel the words based on how they felt in our body. And we kind of can, really. And so you had a sort of an extreme experience of that. So, for instance, yeah. you know, we might walk into a room and know if somebody's been arguing in there. We know it straight away. Or we can also sense a deep love between people. But you had this experience of of that times a thousand, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't even think there's a number. That's why wow. I they would laugh at me if I tried to give it a numerical or gave it a name or put labels on it. They'd think it was adorable. And <laughs> I love they that are. humor. Yeah, and I just love that humor. It's so refreshing and humbling, isn't it? It's humbling. You know, here we are arguing about, as you say, about a million things, but the name of God being being the prince, one of the principal things we all argue about. And it's just really just so silly. Not important at all. And they, I, that's what I thought was so crazy because I wanted to get their names right. And they're laughing that, that I thought they had names. And <laughs> it was, uh, it was such a, a I don't, I, I came away changed forever and, and hoping that what I learned, I could help with other, other people. There's a um, writer, David Hawkins, who's a doctor who wrote Power Versus Force and he did the kinesiology of different, I can't remember if it's feelings or words. I have the book, I should look. But he did the kinesiology muscle testing on different um, ideas and words. And I didn't realize it, but he had a near-death experience. <laughs> he, had a, he had a whole consciousness shifting thing. And I think that might be what we see. I think we might come back changed. Well, I, I want to know more about how this experience changed you, but... 
continue. What else happened after this experience of the beings transferring their thoughts into you? Oh, let's see what else there. So I, I got the feeling and I also um, was expecting, I will tell you this, if my question was, have I done everything I came here to do? And so that tells me that we are on this planet to get some things done, that we are, we have goals, we have uh, ideas, they might even just be adventures. We might even just be love. I always think a highest a value of love and of light. But when I was given my kind of marching orders, if you will, when they said, no, there's more work for you to do and there's more work to be done, that kind of gave me the idea that instead of coming back just to be and sit on a mountaintop, I actually had some stuff to do. So think about doing versus being versus having. They mm -hmm. didn't say there's more stuff for you to have and there's more ways for you to be. I kind of, my marching orders where there was more to do. And I just had to find a way to do it differently. I realized that after they showed me that. Uh, and then that was the extent of, um, but here's, here's an odd part. And I, I'm curious if the other people you've interviewed have felt this. I feel like I can go back there at any moment. It's almost as if a doorway was opened, a portal was opened, a, a way in, a window. And I can go back there in, a, in an instant. I even meditate. You asked me before if I prayed. I, I do. I pray and I meditate. But I can just go right back to that same feeling. And my hope is when I share about it, maybe it opens a window for other people. Mm. Maybe it gives them something. I don't know. Oh, I'm certain it does. You know, there is such power in storytelling, as you touched on earlier, and that's certainly something that really drives me in the writing of my books and the sharing of these podcasts. To answer your question, I think I certainly have a sense, having read and listened to others share their NDEs, that there is that idea that this this moment that happened however many years ago, and how, how long ago was your one, Teresa? 2014. I don't I don't know what year it is now. So <laughs> So yes, so there is this sense that th this experience still feels so very present and accessible. And certainly just yesterday I was speaking to a lady, a correspondent who uh, read my column in in a magazine that I write for in Australia. And she is 81 years old and she had her near death experience when she was in her 30s and she began to weep. It was so poignant to hear this lady in her 80s crying, remembering the deep love and the deep peace that she'd felt during the experience. And so that sort of ties in, I think, with what you're saying about how it's instantly instantly there. And I guess meditation gives you another tool to, to dwell in a, in a deeper kind of way as well. Mm, I, I, thank you for sharing that. I, I haven't listen to as many near-death experiences. I didn't, I wanted to get my experience um, solidified in my head before I was going out listening to other people's experiences to see. I didn't want my experience colored by what other people had experienced, but I feel really, that sounds so weird, but it was how I came back. It was very sacred and precious to me. Mm -hmm. And not that I didn't share it, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to color it by listening to anyone else's but I am, I am actually at the point now where I'm fascinated by other people's near-death experiences as well. Okay. So, so then what happened next? Were you returned to your body or did you have any more communication from the beings prior to coming back into the physical? 
Um, at that point, I didn't, but I have had uh, dreams and I've had other feelings since then. And it feels like the same beings, but I was put back in my body and apparently I had been run through a brick wall mm. and uh, half of my car was covered in bricks and it was lovely. All of these people, about six or seven cars pulled over because it looked like they were going to have to jaws for life me out. So I ended up in what's called a hit and run. Whoever hit me did not stop. They actually sped up and kept going. And instead of anyone uh, chasing them, they all pulled over to care for me. And I looked, I, I kind of did a, uh, a self-check and I didn't look like I had anything broken and I, I wasn't bleeding. So I uh, got out of the car and was uh, very, I was confused. <laughs> I was, um, I, I felt, uh, I guess the easiest way to say it is I felt discombobulated, but I don't know what combobulated looks like. So, <laughs> but I just felt <laughs> discombobulated and, um, and yet I was very adrenalized. So uh, I'm also an adrenaline. Um, I teach people how to deal with adrenaline uh, in self-defense and in life. So I could feel the adrenaline just pulsing through my body. But I was actually, I looked okay. I looked physically okay. Other than probably I was very wild eyed and talking really fast, but I looked okay. And then about, I don't know, five to seven days later, I started getting very confused. Um, I started forgetting things. I began to stop speaking in the middle of a sentence. I would go away and I had no idea. I didn't know I was doing this. And then I would come back and whoever I was talking to would just look at me. And I'm, I'm thinking, what, what? And they're saying, you just took off for 15 seconds. <laughs> Where did you go? And I said, no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. So a lot changed when I came back. I started getting headaches. I started developing um, an eye that would go sideways. That was pretty. I started developing a stutter uh, if I was tired. Uh, I felt nauseous. So the day of the accident, I, I did go get checked out and they told me uh, I had hit my head. And then I also had uh, whiplash from um, my, uh, I had three impacts. And the equivalent is like having uh, three different linebackers or six different linebackers hitting you um, at one time. But they told me to look out if I had a, a head injury or a concussion, but they didn't tell me what to, what to look out for. And a few days later, about a week later, some, someone out externally for me said, I think there's something wrong with you. You're not here. And <clears throat> I realized that I probably did have some, some damage. So uh, it took me a little while to go and see the doctor. And when I did, they said that I had, um, uh, traumatic brain injury. And here's what I thought. My guides told me I'd come back and I had more to do. And they gave me a brain injury. That seems rude. <laughs> I didn't want that. That was not in my plan. <laughs> so I, um, and I own a business. I had 15 employees. There was no way I could stop working. And the doctor said instantly, you must stop. And I said, stop what? And she said, everything. If you don't stop, yes, if you don't stop right now, your brain will not heal and you're causing it harm. And I was mortified that by going back to work and trying to teach after the accident, I was actually causing harm to myself. That was horrifying. Horrific. It's 
it so mirrors your kind of life review experience <laughs> seeing yourself on the hamster wheel as well in that you had a sense that that you know needed to stop or that that hadn't been the right thing to do at that point in your experience and now this here's this doctor in the physical world telling you pretty much the same thing everything has to stop right and Karina I don't even know if I consciously I just was a warrior and I here's what I here's what I think is funny I would say, what are they going to do? Cast my brain. I'm not going to go in. I mean, they can't do anything. There's not a lot. I did, a, I did some research on brain injuries and the concussions, and it's not like they can do a lot to heal them. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just wait. It'll just take time. And by the time I went to the doctor, that was exactly what she said. Stop everything. What do you mean everything? Lights, interaction, working, computer, reading, everything. And I said, that's insane. Who can do that? She said, well, you have to, or your brain won't heal. And the first visit, she, she put me in a week. I called it timeout. <laughs> and which is why, given what we're facing right now, I feel like I'm better equipped to handle it. But I was put in a uh, grown-up timeout. First, it was a week. And then every do- I had to go back to the doctor every at first it was a week and then it was three weeks uh, and then about four months in she said you need to take start taking some drugs because you're not sleeping I was having PTSD in the middle of the night and I kept thinking guides angel spiritual beings you guys told me I was coming back but you didn't say it was gonna be so hard this isn't fair but they put me on antidepressants and some anti-seizure drugs to help me start calming down my adrenaline was in full fight or flight uh, for many months, I had uh, PTSD, depression, anxiety, and um, they put me in timeout for almost two years. I, I stopped counting because it got so depressing. Think about going to a doctor's visit, and every time you go in, you think, okay, this is going to be, I'm going to get free. It's going to get better. Nope, more timeout. And I think that was probably why I can relate so much to what's happening in the in the shutdown of this world now yes. is my my healing was uncertain. They didn't know if I would ever heal and they didn't know how to help me heal. Mm-hmm. All they told me was time and quiet and and they told me I would probably never teach martial arts again and that I, that I should really give it up and that I would never be the same, which is true, but it's not bad. And they didn't know. There was so much that they didn't know. And brains, up until the late 90s, in in the textbooks, the brains never changed. We didn't even know about neuroplasticity until about 10 years ago. So these doctors, all they knew is, well, yeah, your brain is damaged. You're damaged. You're neurologically damaged. You're neurologically done. And I... Oh, my heart. I had so I still had so much to give. And I, I didn't know how that was going to work. I didn't know how it was going to happen. So you came back with, it sounds like this, Teresa, that you came back mm. immediately with the memory of your NDE intact, though. Is that mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been, it has been with me since that. And it was very confusing. Why am I in so much pain, yet you still want me here? How, yes. how, what kind of work are you guys thinking I'm going to do when you're telling, when the doctors are telling me I may never work again? It was, it was very hard to 
I mean, wouldn't it have been nice if it was a fairy tale and they said there's more work to be done? And I came down and I found my soul's new mission and I did it. It's not how it happened for me. It was um, it was akin to having to rebuild myself basically from the ground up. When you have a brain injury, you um, one of the things you lose, you can lose. It, it, every brain injury is unique. But I lost my entire sense of who I was. I didn't know not only I, I have I still have amnesia as well. Not only how I felt about things, I didn't even know my favorite foods. I'm actually still trying to discover what those are. I don't have a memory of feelings. The worst or the best parts of my life that happened, I don't have feelings about those. I don't, I've forgotten a great deal, but I assume it's nothing I need to remember. Um, but I had to recreate not just my life, but who I am. It was gone, wiped. Your own sense of who you are, gone. And maybe that was part of the plan. Let's let's call it part of the plan, shall we? And I, I keep thinking of your your sense of surrender that you experienced as as the NDE was unfolding. It's and I'm wondering if now in this very difficult recovery, it's so hard to fathom two years of this, you know, I think you call it a low stimulus in interaction yeah. or low stimulus environment. Mm-hmm. I just can't even begin to fathom two years of that, Teresa. And I wonder if this idea of surrender that you experienced in your NDE played any part in helping you navigate that. What a great question. I would have to say it did because I found the humor. I found the humor in the fact that I couldn't remember any of my passcodes. Think about everything you have that has a passcode on it. I couldn't remember any, and I had to, I called my bank so many times. Hi, it's me again. Got to change my pen. Um, I couldn't remember any passcodes. I couldn't remember, I, I couldn't remember my garage door codes. Um, I kept locking myself out of my house. I don't even know how I did that. AAA, which is in America, it's a, a service. I, ha- I became friends with a locksmith. I locked myself out of my house so often. I, oh, it was hilarious. I mean, and I, now that you put those things together, I do think the surrender had a huge part to play in me not losing my sense of humor. I had to wear a hat no matter where I went, first because it felt safe and it kind of blocked noise a little bit. I was also overstimulated. So if you think about autistic kids who too much, uh, everything has noise and energy and um, that's how I felt. Literally feeling lights as a feeling. Like lights had sound to them and they, it was not good. And sound was too much. I couldn't do any music. I lights, I had to wear sunglasses everywhere I went. Everything was too much. It was, it was as if my brain had broken open (laughs) and I kept sitting there going, all right, I'm going to be that attractive lady in a hat and sunglasses the rest of my life. I better (laughs) invest in some good hats. And I did. I think I bought (laughs) 10 different hats. (laughs) It was so strange, but I think the surrender had a lot to do with it. At what point did you begin to turn a corner into back into a quote unquote normal way of life? Uh, I would say about two years in. Let's see when uh, when would that have been? About two sixteen. Yeah, I would say I started to be able to sleep. I would have less PTSD. Um, initially PTSD would wake me up. I thought someone was coming to kill me two to three times a night. Um, that was awful. The migraines started to subside after about two years. 
And instead of having one every other day, every three days or daily, I might have one a couple times a week. So things started to get better. And I, Dollars to Donuts, spent so much time, money and effort in healing modalities. I looked at over 40 different healing modalities. I probably tried to heal myself with everything you could possibly imagine. Because what the doctors were telling me were, was that they didn't, there weren't really a lot of solutions. So I went to alternative in everything. All sound therapy, color therapy. Uh, I did neurofeedback, which was actually really great. I, I tried everything. Every supplement. I think I was on 47 different supplements. Every single brain supplement that, that they had in, in the world, I was on it. The other interesting thing that, that is striking me as you're, as you're sharing is that so now it's almost like you've got a truer or closer sense maybe into the lives of the differently abled people that you are <laughs> helping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you could not have said it better. Probably really annoying to my doctors because I would explain Oh, this is a funny story. So every when you have a brain injury, every time you go to see a doctor, they ask you, are you hearing voices? And I was. I was hearing voices. But I also had to explain to them that I was intuitive and I'd heard voices before and it wasn't unusual for me. But I, I would have to explain that when I had a symptom, I understood where what was happening and where it was coming from, but I couldn't stop the symptom. And the doctors would just shake their heads at me and uh, I, I probably knew too, knew enough to be dangerous about brains and frontal lobe damage and autism. And I, there were many points where I felt like an autistic kid. No filter, sensitive to lights and sound, touch. Ugh, I, I couldn't even feel my skin. I remember running into things. Or um, at one point, I took a shower and I kept thinking, why is my hot water not working? I get out of the shower and I am bright red, head to toe, because the water was full full warm and I just couldn't feel it. I had somatosensory issues, but the, the doctors were just, um, just shake their heads at me. And I also had an experience. One of the, the other groups that I've worked with is, um, we do suicide prevention and somewhere in the first year, I had a voice that jumped in my head and I say jumped in because it was not the way that my guide sounded or any of the other sounded. And this voice, this quiet voice said, it would probably be better if you just offed yourself. And my instant reaction was, who talks like that? Who says off themselves? That's so weird. And I knew that wasn't me or my brain, but I'd never heard a voice like that before. I had a voice telling me to off myself or that I was a burden, that I'd never heal, that the world would be better off without me, that I would always be broken. And, and I had this voice jump in my head out of, well, what I thought was nowhere. But here's the, here's the God's honest truth. 33% of people who end up with a brain injury attempt or complete suicide. And I believe this voice or this negative, it would be better if you weren't here, thought. I think it pops in. I think it happens. Do you think that's the voice of what we call the ego here, or what? Uh, who do, what do you think? think? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't. I still don't know. I did. Um. I'll, I'll tell you my my quick story about the voice. Um. 
so it kept showing up and at first I fought it I told it to screw off and uh get out and get behind me and go to hell and 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 I realized knowing what I know about adrenaline that's a waste of energy so then at some point I just decided all right when the voice shows up I'm just gonna ignore it yeah blah 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 yes yes I'm sure I should off myself yes the planet's better off without me blah 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 and then at one point it showed up again and I think it really shows up in moments of weakness it showed up again and I said what are you do you and it it was at that point it was telling me uh I tried to do my uh, something online I tried to do my very first webinar and I screwed up the technology and Wi-Fi was blinking on and off and I'm presenting for 45 minutes or trying to and uh it it just kept and I couldn't tell I didn't know it and so this voice was telling me oh you're a failure and it came up with all these things I'd failed at or I'd felt failure about before and and I looked at it in my head and I said do you believe that about yourself do you believe you're a failure and the voice was like what are you talking to me I said yeah it's a shame that you think that do you know God have you ever known light? Do you know compassion? And again, the voice says, are you you're, me? You talking to me? I said, yeah, I'm very sorry. I send you, I send you light and I send you love. And I hope that you can know God. And this voice is just seems flustered. And I, I said, well, what are you? And it said, I, I, don't, I don't, tortured soul was the word that it came out with. I said, I am so sorry. And um, I send you light and I, I send you compassion. And I'm sorry for you. And I will tell you what, that voice did not show up again on purpose. A lot of your work involves um, the, the idea of power and teaching others how to to embrace their, their personal power. And listening to that story, Teresa, it sounds like in that moment you did that. And you changed the course of your life. Uh, thank you for saying so. I um, I still don't know what that voice was. I still don't know. It, it didn't know where it came from. It just said it was a tortured soul. But I do know that if I was being bullied, and that's where part of the information from the TEDx comes from is inner bully. If I was being bullied by somebody externally, I would probably have the same reaction. I might fight it at first and then I might like blah, blah, blah and let it, let it go. But then eventually I probably would find a piece of compassion for it. So it was just like how I would have handled an external bully. It just happened to be this voice from out of nowhere that decided to tell me I should kill myself. Now I'm, I'm lucky in two ways. One that I know what my guides sound like so I knew that wasn't them or my brain. And two, I would never hurt myself. I would never do anything to cause harm. But the other piece that I thought was interesting was think of all of these, um, in the U.S. especially, there are a lot of people um, with um, uh, brain injuries or, or undiagnosed brain injuries that end up violent. And part of the, when you go to the doctor, if you've had a, a traumatic brain injury, they ask you, do you hear voices? And I would say yes. Is the voice telling you to hurt yourself or someone else? What if some of that violence to others was a different, was another voice telling people that it was okay to hurt others? Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Because the instance of violence after um, uh, soldiers experience a great deal of anger and violence 
and, 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 and my voice turned on me telling me to hurt myself. But what if someone else's, what if that voice for someone else would be hurt others? Isn't, I, I, I don't know what that is. I don't have answers. I would love, this is a very spiritual show. So maybe some of your listeners have answers. I don't think it's from the devil or it was evil, um, but I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was just mm. very interesting. That is fascinating and it is a, a broader discussion and it's probably one, you know, that we could spend an entire episode um, unpacking, Teresa. But I think what's what's super powerful about what you've shared is that you found an answer and potentially what you discovered in that compassion, that questioning and that love that you you turned on on that voice, you neutralised it. And it never bothered you again. Imagine if others could also harness that solution. And that's why I, I made an agreement with my soul never to hide it. If it came up in a conversation or in an interview, I would not hide it because someone else may need to hear that if something in their head, a voice in their head is telling them to hurt themselves or other people, they can actually, uh, they actually have power over that voice. They can actually send it love, send it compassion, send it light. So you mentioned your TEDx talk, The Danger of Your mm -hmm. Inner Bully. What do you think mm -hmm. is our inner bully and how, how did you arrive at that label? Thank you. I love the topic of the inner bully because we hear a lot about the inner critic. But what I saw when I was teaching martial arts was how hard people are on themselves, how we want to be a perfect or we want we are perfectionists at something or even women in fitness classes and they would try to beat themselves up to be thinner or look better or look different. And it's an interesting contrast because I spent so many years teaching about how to remove yourself from a toxic relationship. Toxic is, it's kind of a catch-all phrase. When someone around you isn't good, isn't good for you, they're not healthy for you, they put you down, they yell at you. And then I just started, uh, and I, what I know about the adrenaline system from all my years of training is that we create cortisol when we're in a toxic relationship or in a, in a defense situation, because if you're in a toxic relationship, you're on defense, you're in fight, flight, or freeze, and your body is creating these chemical reactions. Well, I had this big epiphany. So what if that toxic relationship is the one that we have with ourselves and it's us bullying ourselves, our body is still creating <laughs> that same fight, flight, or freeze response. And over time, uh, what do women do? You've heard, I'm sure you've heard this before. When when women are um, uh, in a difficult relationship, oft oftentimes they'll put on weight. Uh, cortisol will help us put on weight to protect us. We stop sleeping because we are hypervigilant. We have insomnia. All of these things, what if we're doing them to ourselves? And that was the idea behind the inner bully is that not all of the bullies or toxic relationships are external. We talk a lot about that. We don't talk enough about what do you do when it's inside? What do you do when the danger is inside the house? But the inner critic is, has words much more uh, that tells you things, critical words. But the inner bully might just be a feeling. Like you look at yourself and you go, ugh, ugh, no. And it's, it's not word related. It's feelings. It's feelings that you have about yourself. 
And those feelings, as you're as you're sharing that, I, I can feel them in me because the memory of them. I can feel the memory of them, you know. And I, so those feelings are so potent, and so many people will relate to what you're saying. And so, what what can we do about? Can we neutralize them almost in a way like you, you know, how you neutralized that voice, Teresa? I believe so. Would you be willing to share what you think? How your inner bully made you feel? Are you are you open to that? Oh, of course. And it's the same, as you said, it's the same as the feelings that arise when you are in the presence of someone who's, you know, we can call toxic, who is making you, you know, over time feel these things. And it is, for me, it was uh, a sickness in my stomach and anxiety and unsettledness, uh, kind of a nausea, actually, Mm -hmm. nausea in my stomach, a racing heart. And at the pinnacle of a moment where I was, I guess I was being bullied by an outer bully, I couldn't speak. I lost. So you hear about your voice, your mouth going dry. Well, I had that experience. And my it was as if somebody had closed off my throat. The words would not come out. And certainly there was a dryness of the mouth as well. But, yeah, those things come to mind. Well, thank you for sharing. And uh, I'm sorry that you had to experience it, but thank you for allowing us to use that experience. Every single one of those is an adrenal effect. Uh, Our digestion shuts down, our uh, throat, the airway closes. We have that feeling of anxiety, which makes us want to fright or flee. But then what often happens is we freeze. We lose the ability to speak, to think, or to move. That's all very, very natural. So I think the first part of dealing with the inner bully is understanding This is my body's response and it's okay. The difference is we can start to unwind it. When we have the ability to acknowledge it and become aware of it, we can start untethering it. Just like if you're overwhelmed, if you're in an adult with an adult bully or even as a kid bully, uh, if you're with a bully or in a difficult or abusive relationship, it feels very overwhelming because all of your senses are overwhelmed. But when you can start to pull it apart and identify, this is how I feel, this is where I feel it, you start to actually begin to give some power to it. The one antidote to adrenaline is always breath, breathing. What happens when we're adrenalized is we start to breathe shallowly, we constrict, we move, uh, we might, if we're in freeze, especially we move our shoulders forward, we might want to make ourselves as small as possible if we're afraid that we're going to get hurt. And so our breath leaves us. And that can sometimes feel like our throat is tightening as well. So the first thing to do is to be able to recognize the feeling in the body. I don't like this feeling. This feeling is uncomfortable. In the TED Talk, I give a very short count. And it's a just a second of a three, two, one inhale and hold it. So in that moment of crisis, The amygdala is sending a message that we have to fight, flight, or freeze, or we're going to die. When we can move ourselves into the neocortex, the front brain, we do that by counting. We do that by trying to relax our system, and that's by breathing. If you're frozen, you hold your breath. When you freeze, you hold your breath. When you're safe, you take more inhales, you're more conscious about inhales, you allow your body to breathe. So by almost forcing or forcing your body into more of a relaxation, 
you stop that neurological cavalcade of chemistry going through your body. Does that make sense? Yes. The other thing that you you talk about in that talk, and if the listeners haven't seen it yet, it's fantastic, that TEDx talk. Um, Please go to it, and um, there's so much to glean from that. But you speak about post-traumatic growth, and, Teresa, you're Mm -hmm. clearly a walking example of that. Do you reflect on how that fearful experience of the accident and its after effects, which was so far-reaching, do you reflect on how that experience contained gifts for yourself and for others? Uh, every day. Every day. What a lovely question. Post-traumatic growth is the belief that we can not only adjust, but we can thrive after something difficult. And they did a study on Navy SEALs, and there's a great book called Flourish. And in the book, they talked about when they taught soldiers about post-traumatic growth, and they said, you might experience some of these symptoms when you come back. That in itself helped to alleviate the amount of difficulty they had in the, in the symptoms by a vast percentage. So when we talk about uncertainty, if you're a soldier and you come back from a difficult uh, place and you have bad dreams, post-traumatic stress, it all becomes overwhelming. But if you've already been told you might end up with a few of these symptoms, it's almost as if you have the position in your brain like, okay, I can get through this. I can get through this. And it's this resilience. It's this muscle of resilience that I believe lives in all of us. I've had people tell me that I am special, but I don't believe I'm special. I think I'm unique, but I think every single one of us has the ability to overcome amazingly difficult situations. And I use something I call the Princess Bride effect. If you've ever seen the movie, The Princess Bride, at one point, Wesley has been mostly dead all day. And he says, I wish I just had a cloak, a wheelbarrow and something else. And that's kind of how it came out of my accident. Okay. I don't have the the ability to think as quickly as I used to. My language skills aren't where they used to be. But wow, I still have humor. Okay. I can still communicate. Great. And I still have a heart to give back. Great. So those are my things. I I focused on, okay, how am I going to give back? How am I going to share? Because those were the things I had to focus on. And that's really part of post-traumatic growth is focusing on the next piece. Focusing on that this will not kill me. This will not. Uh, break me this will not end me and the belief that things can happen for our good they're not happening to us because that's a victim mentality but they can happen for our good and that gives us our power back and of course at the moment we're all experiencing this global you know COVID-19 crisis do you think Mm -hmm. that there might be gifts in this dark time for all of us absolutely I don't think I don't think we're ever given anything without gifts, even the most difficult situations. And I've heard people making it through horrendous, uh, horrendous terrorism and the things that people have had to experience. Friends of mine are advocates of anti-human trafficking and some of the things people experience, but come out with joy. I don't know what we're going to find. I think each of the gifts is going to be different. What I do know is every single 
person right now is being faced with uncertainty and the unknown. And that creates fight, flight, or freeze. So you'll see people who are angry. You'll see people who are trying to fight something, or, you know, damn the government, or I can't believe this. Um, you'll see people who are freezing, who are running away, fleeing from thinking, um, overeating, people numbing out. Those are ways of freezing or fleeing. We all deal differently when we're in survival. Right now, it would be difficult to, to be thriving because the world is so uncertain. But the get, one of the gifts that we're experiencing is, is a global connection. One of the other gifts that we're seeing already is nature. Nature yeah. is healing. And, and I, don't, I, I certainly don't think Mother Nature would be like, you know what, let's make the humans sick and stay home so we can get better. But that is one of the things that is coming out of this. I also think people are learning how to slow down. Many of us, especially in the U.S., are so go, go, go. We honor six hours of sleep, five hours of sleep. It's like a badge of honor where really we're probably just exhausted and in adrenal stress all the time. And now we've had to take a step back. Um, we're not doing all of the busy work that we used to do. I think for some parents, um, maybe their children were in so many activities, they didn't get to spend time with them. And maybe some of those parents, those kids really needed their parents. Um, I think of, of children who have been overscheduled and, um, and are maybe not the most pleasant kids to be around. Well, now their parents get to spend time with them and have a chance to create a different relationship with them instead of school and then this activity and this activity. Does that make sense? Totally. And as we draw to the end of our conversation, I'd like to circle back to your NDE, but something that you've said there makes me think of your NDE where you were shown that hamster wheel. And mm. I wonder if now you are doing it differently. Mm. I am very conscious of what I schedule, who I spend time with. I stay out of very dramatic situations. Um, I've had clients in the past who tend to thrive on drama and I enjoyed helping them through that. I don't, I don't really like I don't do that anymore. I'm more mindful. I know I'm more mindful. And I, I think that that's kind of all what we're facing right now. And, and getting back to what's important. My NDE showed me so many things. And my essence, when I start getting nervous about my accomplishments or I'm not getting enough done, I go back to what matters, that essence, that light inside each of us. And sometimes if I find myself in a situation where I'm struggling with someone else, I just try to look at their light. I try to look at their essence again, too, because that's really all that matters. We're on the planet with each other. We are one planet, as far as we know, right now. Let's connect. And let's connect, yes. You mentioned earlier that throughout your life you have been intu highly intuitive, you've seen energy, you've you've spoken with spirits. I wonder mm. if you could share a little bit of, a little bit about that please Teresa and also were these skills or these experiences of yours heightened by the NDE? Okay, well and I know we're um, coming off if, if if I go too long. So when I was a kid, I would just sense energy and I didn't know we I didn't know everybody didn't see energy or ghosts. I didn't know ever I, it didn't occur to me that everyone wasn't talking to ghosts. And I remember specifically one of the most interesting experiences. I had a dream about my grandmother 
And in the dream, she was holding onto a rope and it was hurting her. She was hanging over a cliff. And I, I said, um, grandmother, it's okay. Let go, let go. And she let go. Well, I woke up and I told my mom about the dream. And later that day, my grandmother died. So in my family, being intuitive or um, having precognitive or dreams that came true was not uh, cool. It was very frowned upon and was considered evil or I don't know what other words you would use. uh, Wrong. It was not supported. And so the messaging I got was that being able to do those things was not okay. It never stopped me really from doing them. And I just didn't always tell people what I could see or what I could read because I didn't, I didn't want people to uh, judge me and I didn't want to feel weird. And if you're told something is evil when you're a kid, it's not like you jump into it with both feet. Later I trained as an intuitive because I realized I didn't, it held power over me. If I didn't learn how to use it, I wouldn't understand it. And I didn't want to be afraid of it. So I learned all about intuition. I trained for three years um, with a psychic medium. And I am a medium. I am also, um, I see things, I see energy. And I experience it in words a lot. I'll see words. I'll see these beautiful pictures unfold. They're super fun. They're like vignettes. Um, I can go to the other side and ask someone a question. Uh, it's, I, I, at some points I've had, uh, energies or go, uh, spirits, ghosts show up, but I sort of set office hours. I had great boundaries, like no, no one in my room at night, because I remember I would have a spirit yell out, wake up, like, what? Three o'clock in the morning, go away. Oh, so fun. And, and if I've ever had friends pass, um, I remember I, they'll wake me up and I'm like, okay, fine. We can talk because I realize you're in, you just passed and. But they've been very good. And actually, that's stopped a lot since the accident. So all my life, I've had a, a variety, a myriad of uh, I hear things, I see things, I sense things. Sometimes I smell them. That's not one of my favorites, by the way. I don't. Uh, one of my aunts will visit and I'll smell cigarette smoke. Ugh, so gross. And then after the accident, I lost the ability to be an empath. Now, here's what I'll say about that. My ability is no longer... I can't feel what other people feel anymore, but I have a sense and a knowing and a information beyond reason. So I don't feel it anymore. I observe it. I sense it. And it's deeper. When I used to see people's feel, when I used to uh, be an empath and feel people's feelings, I would, I would merely feel a feeling, but now, oh my gosh, I see what built up to it, how it showed up, where it came from how it affects their life. I see this whole, remember earlier we were talking about this big experiential thought bubble? Yes. That's what I get. Right. So that's been transferred over from your NDE, it appears. I I guess so. And I don't have to walk around feeling other people's feelings, which is super fantastic. I actually kind of love it. <laughs> Being an empath would be, is not, was never my favorite thing. I enjoyed it when it felt good, when other people are experiencing good feelings, but it's it's hard when, the world is in crisis and I don't empath anymore. Not in that way. It's more like that bubble that you described. So it's a, it's a wider sense of the experience now. Mm-hmm. And, and a compassion for people. I can mm. see somebody instead of feeling that uh, you're angry or you're uh, concerned or confused. I see what goes into it. I see how it manifests. I see this, whole experiential thought form around it that I never saw before. 
before I would just feel a feeling and that and was done with it. But um, isn't that interesting? I don't think I've ever told anyone that, but your questions are so in-depth and so lovely that you really bring it out. Oh, thank you, Teresa. So mm. you're a medium, but did you say earlier that since the NDE, you don't see spirit like that anymore? I don't. I feel energies. And after the accident, I had uh, I only had 2D vision. So think about you. You see things in 3D. I only had 2D, meaning I couldn't I had no depth perception. And so I started seeing uh, these webs everywhere. I saw bubbles and lights and webs everywhere. So I saw how things were interconnected. Mm. Um, I yeah, it's very interesting. And um, uh, like webs of of thought and of uh, action and these lights are around us all the time. And some neurological um, doctors will tell you those lights are just um, a part of a, a, a brain injury. But in my world, everything has meaning. And so I saw um, angels around and I, I, to me, they felt like angels. I was no longer able to see spirits like that. It's more that I, I guess, experience them or, or um, I don't feel them anymore either. So maybe that's part of the empath ability. I still medium. I can still go ask questions and get answers. From I, I, people? Yes. So if someone's passed, I can go ask a question. But before I used to pick up spirits that I wasn't questioning, if that makes any sense. Now it, it's pretty yes. about like now I have to go ask a question and go look for a spirit and I can still, but before it was a little bit more willy nilly. I would just experience or feel. And I think with that lack of empathic ability, now I'm, I'm more directed in a way. It's just interesting. The whole intuition thing has changed. It is interesting. Your after effects of your NDE, they're different to others that I've heard, but I love the idea of you having access to seeing our interconnectedness and this web of life. Yes. And the threads. And, mm -hmm. and we can't always see what's being created for us, but I'm shown that. I don't feel like I was ever shown that before. I can so see what do you see? Can you give us an example? Sure. I can see. Do you want a personal example or do you want like a worldwide example? Maybe one of each. Okay. Uh, I will start <laughs> with, I'll start worldwide and some of what I see and sense for you might slip in. So I saw a lot of very heavy energy, dense energy around people after the uh, COVID virus came out and people started, there, there was a lot of fear. And, and I saw this dark, clouded energy around so many people. And I saw heavy hearts, like a heaviness in, in their bodies. And I could see this kind of a fog. So what I started doing was, excuse me, I teach self-defense. I teach boundary workshops. But I, I realized people weren't going to sign up for that. But one other thing I could do is teach these little mini movement exercise videos on Facebook or on uh, YouTube, on LinkedIn. And I could teach a movement video, 10 minutes, five minutes, and it would allow some stretching and it would allow people to move energy through their body. Because what I saw was such yucky energy. And not only that, their energy was bringing down the energy of the other people around them. So it was this kind of global funk. So I started doing these videos 
and they're my intuitive yet martial arts and boxing way of just giving back. They're very simple, low impact. You can do them in your office. And I started seeing people shift. And I had people say, wow, I was really sore when I started this, but how did this get rid of my soreness? I don't understand. So that's one thing I saw. I saw people globally. I'm going to look up those videos, Teresa. They sound fantastic. <laughs> Please do. Uh, I'll, I'll give you my Facebook link, but it's Teresa TKD on okay. Facebook. And they're, they're public videos. I don't own the music, but I really wanted to find a way to give back. Um, mm. And I just saw so much heaviness. Now, if I was to look at the webs around you, oh, I, oh, I see that you have developed, like there's an opening in you, lovely, that you've developed a new appreciation for, is it your son or your husband? Somebody in your house. <laughs> you've, de- you've, something is, it's like this beautiful picture opening. I see this beautiful opening. And I see um, also, it's fun. It's fun to watch because it looks almost like you went through, a, you've gone through or you were going through a period of, I don't want to throw anything on you, but doubt or uncertainty. <laughs> questioning there's been a lot of questioning and it feels like that's starting to clear out as well you're getting the answers that you need you're there's again there's more opening being created for you right now and I also want to say that the messaging that I hear from that doubt oh my heart goes out to you is that that doubt was part of you I always hate to tell somebody this is what I get and this is what you said to yourself but I'll say it this way If you were judging yourself or doubting yourself, please understand that I'm hearing it was part of that path. You needed to go through some doubt or uncertainty or questioning yourself to get to where you're going. It it was part of the, it was all part of that journey. Thank you, Teresa. That really echoes in my heart very truthfully. Thank you very much for sharing (laughs) that. (laughs) Now, tell us, what do you think the main lessons were or are of your NDE and what in that same vein are the most important takeaways for our listeners? The first lesson that I would say for anyone is are you doing what you came here to do? If you had to ask that question, if your life was just about to end outside of you wanting it to, Have you done what you came here to do? Is there something in your heart or your soul that was done? And that would be the first lesson. Next one would be, if you are doing what you came here to do, are you also taking care of yourself? Because I will tell you, that feeling of peace and relaxing into knowing that it's okay for me to make a difference with one person and, and here's the fun part. If one person listens to this podcast, my soul is happy. If one person gets some positive impact from here, my soul is happy. It doesn't have to be a million people anymore. And who can I make a difference with right now? So that, that, that was one of my lessons, personal lessons, is stop making it about you. Stop making it. It has to be big. Each book has to be a, a bestseller. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It can make a difference for one person, one soul, one essence. And that essence matters. Another lesson is the power in words, what we speak to each other and how we speak to ourselves. Are we using that same kindness for ourselves? Wow, that is so magnificent. I actually feel like I need to 
print out those words that you've just spoken, frame them and put them up where I can see them every single morning and evening. That's just beautiful, Teresa. If we realize that we are these essences of light, that maybe the things we've placed our, our importance on don't matter as much. And the other thing is that that lovely sense of humility that you've brought in or brought back with you from the NDE, you know, this idea that you don't have to reach a million people, you can just reach one. Mm. Uh, I, I love that. And I think humility is something that the world needs and perhaps the COVID crisis is teaching us that to some extent. But the other thing that strikes me is that one person can, you know, that will ripple out because we are all interconnected, as as you can see through the webs that you see as well. Mm. I love that. I love the way you put things. Yes. Powerful. And so how would you say the NDE changed you in your heart and also the way you live your life? I take myself a lot less seriously. (laughs) 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 I I am not even kidding. I I was such a go-getter and I know that that serves a purpose. I know that going after things and achieving things is, is good. But I'm so over it. Sometimes it just sounds exhausting now. And I allow myself that time to breathe and that time to just reconnect with myself. For the two years that I didn't have any much interaction, I was mostly intuiting a lot. I was talking to my guides, um, taking walks, just spending time by myself. And I learned how to appreciate and, and really appreciate not just accept, given what's wrong with me or what I should think, but appreciate the essence of, of what or who I am. I've slowed, I slowed down. I, I laugh at myself even more so than I did. And I celebrate things. So one of the things that sort of life review showed me was I never stopped to appreciate the difference that I'd made for people. Well, now I celebrate, I give myself a gold star if I, if I accomplished something, if I did something, if one person made, I made a positive impact for one person, I, it's like I give myself a mental gold star. Does that make sense? I created oh, a yes. celebration habit. Uh, celebration habit, yes, that is wonderful. I love that because I can certainly relate to that idea of just going and going and going and wanting to achieve because you do have this deep sense of purpose and then never stopping to smell the roses. Yes. And in that moment, think about if someone was to to respond to your books or your podcast and they gave you a positive review or they gave you a negative review and that negative review would hold more weight, but that positive review was just as important and it gets kind of you know, slush, slushed under because we never t- stop to appreciate it. I've seen so much kindness since my accident and I've seen so much heart in people and I've seen people overcome things and, and find their own power that still astounds me. The human spirit, the human soul, it's, it, it really is infinite. It really is quantum. We really are these energetic beings. And there's a great saying, stars are made of us and we are made of stars. We have the same, some of the some, same uh, makeup in our cells. And I just see this infinity to us. What a beautiful idea that is that we, and I have heard that before, that we're made of stardust and it's so, it's enchanting, isn't it? It is. And and all of the things, I remember putting off vacations. Oh, so many vacations. And it sounds like you've done this as well. 
putting on yeah. vacations or stopping things that could be relaxing because there was more yes. work to do. And now, and I was putting so many things off because I thought I, I was acting like I'd live forever and not in a good way. And now I don't, I stop. I appreciate, I, I make myself take that time. In that sense of you having this new appreciation for yourself and your, and your purpose and mission, what is next for you, Teresa? That is a great question. I'll have to consult the webs. I'll consult the threads. Um, no, I, I do actually have an answer. <laughs> I have found it, the craziest things, really. I, I, I didn't know what my life was going to be like. And for so long, I was told it wouldn't, I wasn't going to have much of a life. But I've actually become involved heavily in a new startup technology company here in the U.S. called eBodyGuard. And it is an app for your phone that calls 911 if you are unsafe. So you want to talk about marrying things that matter to me. <laughs> Safety, your it's voice activated, it uh, offers protection, and it's called eBodyGuard. So it's all about people taking back their own power when they are in a dangerous situation. And I, I couldn't be more pleased. I'm the spokesperson for it. I'm helping develop uh, safety and wellness programs for it. And as soon as it's in Australia, I'll, I'll absolutely let you know. This was not an app that was available two years ago. I mean, I had to stay the course. I had to be who I am now for these opportunities to become available. Wow, you are doing such valuable work in the world and I'm so thrilled that you could share time with us today and share your amazing insights and wisdom with us, Teresa. Please tell everybody how they can learn more about you and your work. Uh, one of the best ways to do that is my website and that is Teresa, I'll just say it as you do, Teresa Byrne, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-B-Y-R-N-E.com. The process that I use to help people is called Empower. It's helping to, to drive people back to that inherent, innate, internal, intuitive power within them. And I am on Facebook at Teresa, T Teresa, Teresa TKD for Taekwondo. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel. And then please, 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 please check out the TEDx talk. If, if I can help one other person discover and breathe through their inner bully, my heart and my soul will be full. Well, I'm taking deep breaths as you speak. And so you're helping me already. And I'm sure that you've helped <sighs> so many of our listeners today. Thank you so much for joining us on Spirit Sisters today, Teresa. Thank you for being a spirit sister. I, I, Karina, I can't, I can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing. I think I can feel a little tear forming. Thank you so much, Teresa. <laughs> Lots of love to you. Love right back. Bless you. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story.